We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks. How the hell are you doing? For me, it is Tuesday afternoon, later afternoon, about 6 o'clock. You should be hearing this episode, hopefully on a Wednesday morning or whenever you choose to listen to this here episode. It's the beauty of podcasts. You can jump on and listen to it whenever you want to. It's not live. Do it whenever. And multitask, be productive, do something, got something that you've been meaning to do, press play, which you've already done. You're hearing me go do it while you're listening. That's the best thing about podcasts. I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I just thought I'd say it. Another great thing that's happened in 49ers land, which has sparked a lot of conversation, sparked a lot of conversation. Frank Gore, the one, the only, the inconvenient truth, Frank Gore. Greatest 49ers running back to ever do it, right there with Roger Craig, has just, has formally announced his retirement, announcing his intentions to, within a month or two, I believe he said, sign a one-day contract with so he can retire as a, uh, as a San Francisco 49er. Uh, he also said that he has the hopes, the intentions of joining the 49ers front office in some respect. Uh, We don't know what that role is or what it could be or if he's going to be hired at all. But Frank has said that he would like to join the front office as maybe some type of uh, advisor, scout, whatever. You know, who who cares? If Frank Gore's in the building, then everything's good. Um, But like I said earlier, like I said earlier, you know, hold on. I'm going to take these headphones off because they're like they have this like feature. I bought a new set of headphones. I do a lot of gaming, playing Escape from Tarkov uh, in this day and age. But I have that headset on, and it has this feature where you can like hear your own voice uh, in the headset, and it works for in the game when there's like other noises. But right now, I'm like hearing it, and there's no other noise other than me talking. So I am taking them off right now, putting them on this fancy little uh, headset stand that I got for them. So cool! All right, so let's keep going. 
obviously, I mean, I mean, human nature. You want to discuss things. You want to disagree. You want to argue. That's all we do in America is disagree with each other, it seems like. Or agree. Whatever, whichever. You know what I mean. Um, but the first thing that started being talked about when Frank Gore formally announced his retirement, now that his career is over, was, is Frank Gore a Hall of Fame running back? Is he is he is his career as absolutely fantastic as it was going to get him into the Hall of Fame? And I'm kind of like saying this slowly right now because I want you to get your mind right. You tell me while you're listening to this, is Frank Gore a Hall of Fame running back? And and the biggest thing that I would I would start out with, and this is not in the order I was going to talk about it in my notes, but I think everybody has, including the voters, by the way, I think everybody has their own perception of what a Hall of Fame player is and what it takes to get into the Hall of Fame. And that's an obvious statement. You know, for a lot of people, it's Super Bowls. For some people, it's being at the absolute best at their position for however long a period in time. For some people, it could be uh, all pros. And for some people, it could be stat-wise, you know, and I think that's probably where where Frank Gore lies, you know, and uh, it could be all pros, could be Pro Bowls, could be, um, you know, accolades throughout the season, MVPs, uh, offensive MVPs, defensive MVPs. There are so many different accolades that the NFL gets out and that fans and analysts find valuable that to me there is no one reason that somebody makes the Hall of Fame. He kind of is a culmination of everything they've done in their career, and I believe as voters, I think that they would probably do their best not to get too caught up in the accolade part of thing, because to me that might cloud the other aspects of any player's career. Now I'm saying this, you know, obviously with a frank, slightly Frank Gorish slant, but I, what I'm basically trying to say is I don't think the accolades are the 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 one and only reason that players get into the Hall of Fame. You know, I, I think these voters. And I think that most people would look at a person's career and just try and and caps quantify it in a way. And, and, you know, those numbers and those accolades make it easy to do. But to me, they're not always the answer. They can't always be the answer because you're going to have truly great players that maybe were on that were on the fringe of, of being the absolute elite at their position, but may have never won a Super Bowl. Um May have only been second team all pro for one reason. May have, you know, all these different things. But anyways, I'm getting too far down the rabbit hole of all the other, you you guys get what I'm saying. And so what that leads me to is with, when it comes to Frank Gore is, you know, there's all the knocks against Frank Gore. He was never the absolute best running back in the NFL. He was never, he never won a Super Bowl. He was never all pro. He was second team all pro. You know, and, and those are all very, very valid complaints. And one thing I should also make clear is I'm not like super on the I'm not in, in the conductor's booth of a train leading to Frank Gore to the Hall of Fame. I'm not super passionate about the argument one way or another. I won't die on that hill. I could see it going either way. I think that anybody making a justification for Frank Gore not making the Hall of Fame has just as much to talk about as somebody saying that he should make the Hall of Fame. So uh, you know, it, it really is. There's so much opinion goes into it. And that's the point I was trying to make earlier is that you have to look at the career and form your own kind of take on it. Does it impress you? Is it Hall of Fame worthy? Is it a Hall of Fame worthy career? And to me, that's where I start to. That's where I start to really 
uh, admire what Frank Gore has been able to do. You know, and it's not from a, any one season perspective. I mean, if you look at Frank Gore's best season statistically, and there's many, you know, weaves to this, but that was his second year as a pro where he had 312 carries for five yards short of 1,700 yards, 1,695, eight touchdowns. Um, he also had 61 catches for 485 yards and a score. In that season, he had the most rushing yards and the most receiving yards of his career. He never topped either of those numbers. Um, so, that, I mean, that right there, that is – that's and, and averaging 5.4 yards a carry. That is truly an elite season. Now, we'd have to go back to 2006 and see what was going on, you know, in that season and who else was rushing for th- those kind of yards. Sure, you're talking about guys like Jamal Charles. But, I mean, that is absolutely impressive. But to me, that's, that's not where you, where you find value in Frank Gore. You find value in Frank Gore in a 15-year NFL career, starting from being drafted in 2005, coming out of a college in which he had two torn ACLs. And then he comes into the NFL – and this is this is Frank Gore's season. So he had 14 games on it in his first year as a rookie. 16 games, 15 games, 14 games, 14 games, 11 games. 16, 16, 16, 16, 16, 16, 16, 14, 16, 15. This man is in his 15th, 15th year in the NFL. 10th year in the NFL and is still rattling off 16 game seasons like it's nothing. In his 10th year in the NFL, he had 1,000 yards. And when you look at Frank Gore's career, to me, that that is Frank Gore's Hall of Fame argument. That is my argument for Frank Gore. Frank Gore has a Hall of Fame career. And, I mean, do you, you could break it down. Was he ever the best running back? I guess not. Was he ever, you know, did he ever make All-Pro? Did he ever lead the league in rushing yards? Did he ever win a Super Bowl? You know, there's a lot of no's there. But at the same time, did he have a better career than any of those other players? And I'm not necessarily saying in terms of longevity. I'm saying that you don't just stumble upon third all-time in rushing yards. That wasn't just because Frank Gore played for a long time. That was because Frank Gore played for a long time at an absolutely stellar, great level. Trying to avoid the word elite because, you know, that's one of the biggest arguments for somebody that thinks that Frank Gore shouldn't make the Hall of Fame is he was never the absolute guy in the NFL. But that, to me, is part of the value of Frank Gore. Like, he wasn't the guy, but he was a guy, and he watched the guy come into the league and leave the league, come into the league and leave the, leave the league, come into the NFL and leave the NFL over and over and over, and he just kept pounding and pounding and pounding and and and. I don't want I don't want to say that in a way where it's like, well, Frank Gore wasn't doing anything great. He just did a lot of it because he was great that whole time. In his career, he averaged 4.3 yards a carry, which I believe is right there with all the other members of the all-time yardage. I have most yards from scrimmage. This should give me what I mean. Okay, because I was starting to feel like an idiot for not having the stats of the uh, the all-time limits. Emmett Smith, 
averaged 4.2 yards a carry. Walter Payton averaged 4.4 yards a carry. Frank Gore, third all time, he's right there, averaged 4.3 yards a carry. He averaged, Emmett Smith averaged 6.3 yards a catch. Walter Payton, 9.2. Frank Gore, 8.2. LaDainian Tomlinson, 7.6 yards a catch. Frank Gore, 8.2. LaDainian Tomlinson, 4.3 yards a catch. Marshall Falk, 4.3 yards per carry. Sorry, I meant to say carry on that one. Barry Sanders, God, he was something else, man. Five yards a carry in, in over the course of a career. Man, that is just absolutely nuts. Marcus Allen, 4.1 yards a carry. Curtis Martin, 4. Adrian Peterson, 4.6. Just .3 over Frank Gore. Frank Gore is also third all-time in yards from scrimmage. Same order. Goes Emmett Smith, Walter Payton, Frank Gore. Like, the, and then statistically, Frank Gore's biggest fault was touchdowns. Emmett Smith scored 164 touchdowns. Walter Payton scored 110 touchdowns. Frank Gore, 81. He did add 18 through the year, but, and Marshall Falk, whew, 36 touchdowns through the air. It is so cool to just look at these numbers and see what these guys did in their career. But to me, what stands out is Frank Gore is right there with the rest of these guys. He lacks in touchdowns, but everything else about his career holds up with these guys. And, and, and that's where my sticking point is. No, he didn't win the Super Bowl. No, he was never all pro, but look at his career. Frank Gore has put together a Hall of Fame career when the odds were stacked against him immensely. So, you know, I'm like I said, I'm not sitting here banging the, the loudest drum on the planet that Frank Gore should be in the Hall of Fame. But to me, Frank Gore has put together a Hall of Fame career. One that no one will ever be able to take from him. That puts him among the best names to ever play the position. And so, you know, it's hard for me to say that this man should not be in the Hall of Fame. Can I, will I listen to the doubters? Of course. Like I said, it's, it's not super passionate either way. But, it, to me, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Sorry, I was pausing a little bit. Girlfriend's coming through the door and I'm just like distracted, but... Frank Gore has also now you know stats can be can be manipulated can be can be cherry picked in a way in order to make them look more favorable and that's a little how this comes off but Frank Gore has 12 consecutive years of 1200 yards or more the most ever in the NFL now again you know you have to find that mark where Frank Gore had more than any but that's to me that's summing up my point. 12 years of 1200 yards or more, most of any other player. No, he did not, you know, hit the absolute peak at any one year, but this man was great year after year after year after year for 15 years. I say 15 years, but you know, we know the last few years 
he wasn't, you know, it, he was still pretty, pretty damn good at Indianapolis, even though he started to share touches. But then, you know, Miami, Buffalo, New York, that that was the the twilight of Frank Gore's career. But, you know, and his his most impressive stint was obviously in San Francisco. So to me, I'm looking at his entire career and I'm, you know, I'm just looking at everything he's done third all time third all-time in rushing yards, third all-time yards from scrimmage, the most consecutive 1,200-yard seasons in the NFL. I got to check on consecutive. I'm not sure if it's consecutive or just more 1,200 period. It doesn't really matter to me. It's impressive no matter where you put it. And statistically and everything other than touchdowns, he's right there with everybody else in terms of what he was able to do on the field. And so – you know, it's 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 just tough to hear. And it, that this is to me, if I was in a voter's perspective and you're looking at Frank Gore and what he had to overcome and his you know, with his ACLs and what he was able to produce, one of the most prolific seasons ever, or excuse me, one of the most prolific careers ever as a running back. Good dude has the respect of everybody. You know, it, it's just not that that necessarily gets you into the Hall of Fame, but when you start to put that all together, Frank Gore was consistently great. Sometimes maybe being consistently great is just as impressive as being elite for a shorter period of time. You know, to me, it's almost preference. Like, what would you take? Somebody who's very good for a shorter period of time or someone who's great for a longer period of time? And to me, both could be considered Hall of Fame worthy. You don't have, you know, you don't have to be wrong. Like I said, many different ways to get into the Hall of Fame. Frank Gore showed us a way, in my opinion. And then there's the obvious, kind of like the easy, the low-hanging fruit. Like, as a Hall of Fame voter, in terms of Hall of Fame legitimacy, are you going to let the third, the the running back with the third most rushing yards in the history of the game not get into the Hall of Fame? If you popped up little logos on who's into the Hall of Fame on those running backs, you know, I'd have to look, but there may be nine or ten of the top ten are in the Hall of Fame. And you're going to tell me Frank Gore is going to be the one that isn't? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Fame, but I think he gets in. I think he gets in. But, again, I'm not sitting here telling you that Frank Gore must get in. I think that anybody has anybody that wanted to make an argument for Frank Gore not getting into the Hall of Fame would, would have some legitimate gripes that we've already talked about. But, to me, I mean, that is just one hell of a career. And it, to me, it is Hall of Fame worthy. To me, it's Hall of Fame worthy. Not to mention the fact that if you want if you want something that Frank Gore was absolutely elite at, something that Frank Gore did better than anybody else in the league, Frank Gore was the absolute best at looking half dead after every play in which he ran the ball. Frank Gore would get up like he had broken every bone in his body every time. Sometimes Joe Staley would be running up there and pulling him up. But somehow he walked back, jogged back into the backfield and got the hand off the next play and picked up another 4.3 yards. Not that, but it would be 4.3 yards in between two guards and two defensive tackles that looked like they left a square footage of a water bottle in between them and Frank Gore finds a way and <laughs> nothing like nothing like a Frank Gore 4.3 yard run. 
it's just it's awesome to think about Frank Gore's career and everything he was and everything he meant for the 49ers and everything he meant for the league and it's just fun to talk about man one of the greatest 49ers to ever do it and uh hopefully he gets that ring but no matter what that's not going to define a guy a guy like Frank you just you can listen to him talk and know that that doesn't define him you can listen to Frank Gore talk and know that he has no interest in getting up there and making a Hall of Fame speech <laughs> but Hopefully he gets to do it. Hopefully he gets to do it. So, I mean, jump on Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter at Rob underscore louder. Um, what do you think? What should Frank Gore be in the hall of fame? You know, obviously you got to try and eliminate your fandom as a 49ers fan, which is what I've done. And, you know, look at it from how you feel like most people are going to look at it. And you'll, you know, you might find your way to, to the predictable answer, whether that's yes or no. Um, but if, hey, if you want to hit, hit me up on Twitter and tell me what you're thinking, tell me what I'm missing, tell me what you know what I what I didn't say or should have said. I, that happens to me every single podcast. I I put down notes and I like talk about what I'm going to talk about, and then I get done and I hit stop recording, and I'm like, damn it, I forgot to say this. It's like a like a 95% success rate that I forget something. So that's what I do. I forget things. So another thing I want to talk about today, we're switching gears. We're transitioning. No segues here. We just transition. We roll. I'm not going to waste your time. It's April. It's draft month. Now, in a weird change of fate, the 49ers have gone a week or two, maybe just a week, without giving us really something to talk about. So let's talk about the draft. Let's just kind of lay the the overall blanket, the uh, the blanket of freedom, if you will, on the draft and kind of where we think the 49ers are going to come at it. Because the 49ers have quite a bit of draft capital. Now we know from the Trey Lance trade that they do not have necessarily the early draft capital that you would want them to have. But the 49ers have got a decent amount of picks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine picks. Despite not having a first round pick, a la Trey Lance, the 49ers still have three picks in the first round. Excuse me, I worded that wrong. Three picks in the first three rounds. Okay, three picks in the first three rounds. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So with three picks in the first three rounds, the 49ers are still going to be able to come away with impact players. You know, I mean, Debo Samuel was a second-round pick. Fred Warner was a third-round pick. George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. You know, you can go on for a while on the 49ers' ability to identify talent all the way throughout the draft. I mean, I'm not necessarily worried about their ability to draft. I'm not necessarily worried about the 49ers. Um, not being able to come up with starting caliber players, at the very least, impact players. I should say that. I, I like to say impact players more than starting caliber players because technically a starting caliber player is just the first person that runs on the field. That's it. They started. So impact players, players that are going to come in, make an impact, be a part of the rotation, possibly earn the starting job, stuff like that. So I still believe the 49ers are going to be able to do that with pick 61, 93, and 105. And then, uh, like we just said, you can't necessarily discount the other picks because the 49ers have done a pretty good job of of moving all the way up and down that that draft and finding good players. John Lynch, I, I guarantee you, if you compared, let's just say the 49ers because we kind of know it's a collaborative effort between him, Kyle Shanahan, front office. The 49ers have drafted relatively well. I mean, what most people don't realize is that GMs, if they can hit like a like a batter in the NFL, or excuse me, a batter in the MLB, if you can hit on 33% of your shots, you're doing pretty damn well. And that's kind of how it is as a GM. You know, if you can hit on a third of your picks, get players that are either starters, impact, or in the 49ers case, some genuine stars in there, you're doing all right. And that's why the 49ers have, have been competitive. You know, they have drafted well. You just, you don't stay competitive like the 49ers have stayed without doing a decent job of drafting players. They had a decent quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. You're hoping that Trey Lance pans out to be decent or better. And so they can have continued success. And a huge part of that has been the way the front office has handled business. They're not without their misses, whether it's the draft or free agency. But overall, the 49ers, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, everybody else that's, that's, that's in there, Adam Peters, they've done a pretty good job of, of maintaining a level of talent that can step onto the field in the NFL and make an impact. So uh, despite not having a first-round pick, I think the 49ers will be okay. You know, one second-round pick, two third-round picks, you'll be, able to, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to do something with that. And – if you're trying to just get a general idea of what the 49ers are going to do, which is, I feel like, what I'm doing, what everybody's doing, does it really matter? Nope, you're going to find out then. But I think with the 49ers, you have to look at it in terms of their losses, in terms of what they don't have. Now, I've said this many times, but every NFL team or every NFL draft analyst loves to say, oh, draft best, best player available. Don't draft for need. Don't worry about the players you need. Just draft the best players. That way you always have a constant flow of good players coming to your organization and the rest will sort itself out. Well, it's kind of a quaint thought and maybe something that the absolute best team with the absolute best roster can afford to do every now and then. 
But we all know that teams are drafting and we with need in mind. The 49ers have done it all the time. Teams do it all the time, especially a quarterback. We see it all the time. Teams are constantly targeting positions that they need in the draft, which is not bad, by the way. You know, obviously it maybe lacks a little bit of foresight, but these NFL front offices plan years in advance. They know what their needs are going to be two years from now. So, or at least if everything maintains the status quo. So everybody always loves to say, you know, draft best player available. Okay, well, what if your best player available is just constantly a defensive lineman every year, kind of like the, the 49ers had going for four years in a row. But that that would be a test. The 49ers would be a testament to drafting best player available if if that's truly what they were doing. You know, you had Eric Armstead, then you had DeForest Buckner, then you had Solomon Thomas, then you had Nick Bosa, a lot of defensive linemen in a, in a short span. You know, Solomon Thomas didn't work out. DeForest Buckner traded for the 13th overall pick. Uh, Eric Armstead, absolutely outstanding player. Uh, Nick Bosa, uh, an absolutely outstanding player, one of the best def- uh, defensive players in the NFL. So they're drafting, you know, if, if they are indeed drafting best player available there, then it worked for them. But at the same time, the defensive line and the, and the pass rush and the ability to get after the passer was also a need. So, Again, it's not like a puzzle that has to be solved. We don't have to try and figure out what if the 49ers are drafting for need or best player available. But a lot of times the 49ers are definitely drafting for need. I mean, just run it back. All right. Uh, Solomon Thomas pick. That was the first pick of the regime. I wouldn't necessarily say that was for need, uh, especially after the 49ers had just drafted Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. So I can't really pin him with that one. But then you kind of keep going. The 49ers trade DeForest Buckner. Oh, let's go back one more. 49ers decide that they can't, that they're not going to pay Trent Brown. Whether they don't trust his weight, they don't trust his commitment, they don't feel he's worth the money he's asking for, the 49ers elect to leave Trent Brown, who that year was one of the best right tackles in the NFL, opposite Joe Staley. They don't pay Trent Brown. They draft Mike McGlinchey. First round, Mike McGlinchey. Okay, an immediate replacement to Trent Brown drafting for need um then shortly after that coming years they traded DeForest Buckner for the 13th overall pick and who did they take with that pick Javon Kinlaw they immediately replaced DeForest Buckner drafting for need could these players have also been their best player available absolutely sure you know sometimes your needs and the best player available slash BPA uh sometimes they align and that's that's cool. What that perfect, amazing. Uh, they on their Super Bowl run, they decided not to re-sign Emmanuel Sanders. Very next year, they traded up to draft Brandon Ayuk, just instantly bringing in another receiver. Okay, and so you can see there's a pattern here of losing players, drafting their replacement pretty early on, first round, second round. The 49 and that's not necessarily what the 49ers have constantly done, but they do it a lot. And so I think that that could kind of guide us moving forward on what we think the 49ers may or may not do in the draft. You know, let's look at some of their 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 losses. They lost Lincoln Tomlinson, who signed a huge contract. 
not going to have him anymore. That's, uh, you know, but they probably foresaw that and they drafted Aaron Banks in the second round of last year who did not play a down throughout the season. Let's hope things work out for him that he can hit training camp uh, running and be, you know, earn that starting spot. The 49ers would love for that to happen. So Lincoln Tomlinson leaves. Presumably his replacement is already in the building. You also have Daniel Brunskill who, you know, the 49ers kept around for another year. Um, I believed on a restricted free agent deal, but you know, that's somebody that you could probably upgrade on. Alex Mack might be the last year he plays in the NFL. Just got married. Um, just went on his honeymoon. I believe the 49ers are planning on him being back. Uh, I don't even know if that's formally been announced yet, but I believe the 49ers are pretty confident it's happening. So you can look at that too. So right there, you've got kind of a question mark at left guard and Aaron Banks. You've got Alex Mack, who may not play beyond this year. And you've got Daniel Brunskill, who they want to upgrade on. And then you've got Mike McGlinchey, who is currently playing on his fifth-year option and recovering from a torn quad. That is a lot of question marks on the offensive line. The only question mark is the oldest dude of the group, I believe, and that's Trent Williams, who just happens to be the best left tackle in the NFL. But that leaves legitimate question marks at every other spot on the offensive line. That should tell you something. That does not mean that the 49ers are going to go offensive line in the second round, but would it surprise me? Absolutely not. Just to run that back, Aaron Banks, is he going to work out? Question mark at left guard. Alex Smith, is this his last year? Question mark at center, which is a very important position in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Right guard, Daniel Brunskill, he's there. He's staying there. They could keep him around if they wanted to beyond the season. Could they upgrade on him? Absolutely. Sort of a question mark. Mike McGlinchey, he's in the building, playing on his fifth-year option, recovering from a torn quad Are the 49ers, going to want to extend to him a starting right tackle level contract. The 49ers, with, with the fact that we know Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa are coming up, the 49ers are at that tipping point where they don't have that many big contracts to give out anymore. It would not surprise me all at all if the 49ers were taking a hard look at a right tackle in this draft. They could put it off until next year and do the Mike McGlinchey route, and if they don't re-sign Mike McGlinchey, just immediately draft his replacement. But 49ers do not have a first-round pick next year. So a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a conundrum there on the offensive line. So that should kind of steer you in the direction for those first three picks. It could definitely go that way. That would be understandable. The 49ers also lost Chikwaski Tart. Now, Tart has not re-signed with another team. And I'm as I'm saying this, I'm immediately questioning it, but I'm I'm almost positive that he is not Yes, he has not signed with another team. So that's another huge loss. Him and Jimmy Ward were a pretty outstanding pair. And while Tart sometimes struggled to stay on the field, he was an, a, a pretty integral part of that defense. And he was a strong safety that was big and powerful enough to, to play like a legitimate linebacker in the box. But he had the speed to make plays uh, deep as a safety, too. So that's a pretty big loss. And that would be kind of a one-to-run replacement. I know there's some a pretty strong safety class in this draft. And as we get closer to the draft, I'm going to try and uh, start looking into them 
a little more in detail, I texted uh, Chris Biederman and Kyle Manson of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast and said, I don't know what it is, but this year I have not had the motivation to look into these draft prospects at all. Maybe it's because the 49ers don't have a first-round pick. I don't know. Maybe that kind of like dampens the mood. But I know that there's a lot of uh, a pretty strong safety class. And uh, so we might have to run through that a little bit, talk about them, because that would be a, a very plausible direction for the 49ers in the second pick. I mean, think of all the things that safeties have to do in the NFL now. They're basically glorified linebackers. They're either in the box, you're in coverage. Um, NFL offenses are constantly getting more athletic at tight end, looking for a way to take advantage of the tight end versus safety mismatch. Um, so it's safety is, is, you know, it's a very important position. So it would not surprise me at all if the 49ers were looking at that second, those second and third round picks as a way of replacing Jaquaski Tart if he does end up leaving in free agency. And if, if it, if I had to guess, I would say the 49ers have probably extended a pretty modest one-year offer to Tart, and they're kind of mulling it over while they they, they kind of wait out the free agent market. That would be my guess. Uh, the 49ers do not have a lot of money to play with right now while Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, still on the books. Let me go back here. I have the salary cap sitting right in front of me. Yeah, the 49ers have the third fewest, third littlest fewest, Third smallest cap space. We'll just say that, I guess. Uh, they only have $1.7 million left. The Patriots are right behind them at $20,000 over. And then the Bills are $1.2 million over. So, the 49ers do not have a, uh, a lot of money to throw around. But, we're getting there. Offensive line, strong safety. What else could we look at here? 49ers also lost Arden Key, who was, you know, kind of signed on a one-year deal out of the Raiders. Um, just kind of meant to be just a rotational player, and he won, ended up being one of the 49ers' best pass rushers. He ended up with six and a half sacks, 22 tackles, uh, 17 quarterback hits, five tackles for loss. Arden Key was a pretty impressive player for the 49ers, and now he's over there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe he signed a pretty lucrative two-year deal. So um, now at the same time, the 49ers did recently hire Samson Ebukam, who also, along with Key, started to really pick it up towards the end of the season. So I think that, you know, if somebody that had they feel like had fallen, you know, maybe to that second-round pick, obviously edge, rush, edge rushers come off the board really quick. It's the second most important position in football. But if the 49ers felt that there was somebody there in the second round that had fallen to them, it, it wouldn't surprise me if if that was a pick. Just, you know, kind of making up for the uh, the the lack of uh, of a pass rush off opposite Nick Bosa. But maybe they also have more faith in Samson Ebukam to take you know a big step in his second year with the team, learning this learning the scheme, another year with Chris Kasurik. So you can you can really easily maneuver this to where the 49ers could go one of three really obvious directions. You know, you've got offensive line, secondary, edge rusher. I could even see them going cornerback as more of like a future type move if if they believe a, a good corner fell to that second round pick because you've got Charvarius Ward, who was just signed to, I believe, a three-year deal, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from the Chiefs. It may have been a four. 
Uh, it was a more of a long-term deal. So it's not, it's not one or two. Uh, he's going to be the, one of their guys. And then you've got Emmanuel Mosley. You've got Ambry Thomas. You've got, um, forgetting their, their fifth round picks name. I suck. Um, so they have competition there, but this, unless they're prepared to offer, uh, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, what will probably be a pretty decent little free agent contract after this year, he may not be hanging around. So the four, you know, whether it's offensive line, secondary or edge rusher, you can really see how they could go any of those three directions. And to me, those are like the three biggest needs on the team is those, those positions. So that to me, that's kind of like my roadmap ahead. I'm going to be looking at everything draft related with those positions in mind. Um, could they obviously go a completely different route and get a wide receiver in the second round or, a, you know, or a, uh, you know, a defensive lineman, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, it, you know what I mean? It, it wouldn't surprise me, but those are the three positions that I'm going to focus on. Those are the three positions that I'm going to assume they're going to go. And maybe those first three, first, those three first picks in the second, third and third round could all be those three positions. Um, you never know, but those to me, if you're going to point out holes in a roster, which the 49ers really don't have any holes, they've just got a, some question marks that you could easily see them worrying about and feeling like they need to patch now. So, you know, now the 49ers did sign George Odom in free agency. Tarverius Moore is coming back from, uh, from his torn Achilles. I believe Talano Hufunga, they drafted last year, I believe in the fifth round, uh, made some plays, uh, as a rookie. So they've got other players at safety. Um, but you know, Kwasi Tart was a starter for a reason. And I don't really believe the 49ers have bridged that gap yet. We already talked in detail about the offensive line. That's safety. Edge rusher, you know, it's it, while it doesn't seem like the biggest need, it's such a premium position that it would not surprise me at all if the 49ers were like, nope, get another one. Get another one. As long as the value lined up. You know, what you don't want to do, I'm sitting here talking about taking best player available versus need. You you know, teams draft for need all the time, but what you don't want to do is reach. You know, you need a you need a corner so bad that you're willing to take one with a third round grade in the second round. That's what you don't want to do because you are passing up a ton of good football players just to plug holes that you should have never created and allowed to be there in the first place. So that's when you get into bad general managing. Bad managing is when you're reaching for talent, first team that comes to mind is the Raiders, just to make sure that you're filling roster holes that you've kind of allowed to emerge, at least to a point where they are so pressing that you're real, you're willing to ignore a ton of draft talent just to reach up there and get a player at a position that may have been, uh, you know, graded much lower than where the pick was taken. So to wrap that all up, when you're looking at all the draft coverage, keep in mind offensive line, secondary, mostly safety, could still see corner, and then edge rusher. None of those are the super fun and sexy positions. No wide receiver, no running back. And that doesn't mean they're not going to do that stuff. But that's just how I'm going to be looking at the draft from here going forward is how can the 49ers help remedy their either current problems or soon-to-be problems at those positions? And, you know, when you when you look at it that way, like you could never have too good of an offensive line. 
you know, it's such a core principle of the game of football that it wouldn't surprise me if that, if that received a decent amount of attention from the 49ers in the draft. So, but Hey, I think that wraps us up. I mean, I think that's right around 40 minutes, which is pretty solid for an off season podcast with, uh, with not a whole lot going on. Hopefully I didn't, uh, didn't stir you one way or another in the Frank Gore hall of fame argument, but he's there for me. And, uh, again, if you feel like hitting me up on Twitter, let me know what you think. Even if you don't think he is, like I said, I'm not, you know, we need to, uh, as human beings improve on our ability to disagree with each other and have a conversation and it not get ridiculous. So if, uh, if you don't, if you don't think Frank Gore's there, then let me know. On Twitter. I, I would love to, to hear about it. But anyways, Thank you for listening to the Striking Gold podcast. I don't know why I said it like that, but I did. Thank you for listening to the Striking Gold podcast. I appreciate everybody. We cannot have this podcast if it wasn't for you guys listening to it. It's as simple as that. Uh, Make sure that you are sharing it with your friends, um, downloading, subscribing, uh, giving us a bright bright and shiny five-star review uh, if you see so fit. Um, But whatever, you know, as long as you're just tuning into the podcast, and dealing with my uh, Kermit the Frog, Ray Romano voice for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour uh, every week, then I'm with it. I appreciate it. Uh, but hey, as you all know, I'm Rob. This is Strike and Gold. And for another episode, we are signing out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.